The Dead Guard are an interesting legion. The 14th Legion. Like all the rest of the Space Marines, the Legion changed with the coming of the Primarch. You have to understand, back in the days before the Legions met their fathers, their gene fathers, they had their own customs and their own traditions, much akin to their own places of birth on old Terra. But the more time went on and the moment their gene sires was found, they started to adopt the culture of their respective planets where their gene sires lived on. Slowly but surely, all the old Terran culture in the Legionia Astartes was slowly starting to be replaced by the culture of their respective planets and of their respective Primarchs. It is pretty interesting that many Terran-born legionnaires just jumped full-heartedly into this. They didn't think for a moment not to do that, and they wanted to be embraced by their, shall I say, brothers from a different planet. I was about, it was supposed to be a joke from brother from another mother, but it doesn't work with space marines, so, you know. Still, many Terran-born legionnaires went into this and adopted this new culture and this new way of being. No better example can be seen in the World Eaters, but we're not here to talk about the World Eaters and how they cried for their father's affection and never really got it. We're here to talk about one of the more special Space Marine Legions, one that I think got a bunch of attention during the 8th edition of Warhammer 40k, but not as much as it required in its older aspects and its more, shall we say, in-depth aspects. But sure, got a pretty good enemy for the beginning of 8th edition. I still had some of those boxes. It was nice to get all those Death Guard miniatures. But let's begin our main topic about the old customs and traditions of the Death Guard. Now let's talk about the pink elephant in the room. The Elder Slaneshi worshipping Eldar in the room, it's basically their name. Before they were brought back and, you know, they found their Primarch in Mortarion, the Death Guard went by the name of Dusk Raiders. And it's interesting because they had that name of Dusk Raiders thanks to a special tactic that they deployed which is, hear me out, pretty ingenious. It was attacking your enemies at night. Yes. I know, I know. It's such a marvelous idea, nobody thought about it in the whole history of humanity until the birth of the Death Guard, or Dusk Raiders in this case. Now, joking and sarcasm aside, it was a pretty efficient strategy for the Death Guard. Many of their opponents preferred to throw in their weapons and surrender rather than, you know, have to fight the Death Guard and probably lose. Interesting aspect about them is also the way their armor used to be. They had one part of their body, an arm, the right arm, painted red, to be a symbol of them being the red right hand of retribution of the Emperor. Which again is a pretty interesting point and it makes sense because many of the Death Guard Terran Marines were devoted followers of the Imperial Creed and the Emperor. In fact, that's the thing with most Terran-born space marines. 
many of them, a bunch of them, almost all of them, just went full-heartedly with this worship of the Emperor. And I mean, they really believed in the Emperor and his dream for humanity. That's also a main reason why they had to commit the whole Isvan III atrocity and massacre to get rid of their more, you know, not loyal elements, shall we say. But still, nevertheless, the Terranborn Marines were body and soul for the Emperor. Another interesting aspect about their custom is that the Death Guard for their whole existence, since before the Great Crusade, since the Unification War, until 40k today, the 42nd millennium, they've always used a batch that has a skull on it. Initially, as the Dusk Raiders, they only used half of a skull, and the other half was a son of sorts. But after that, once they became the Death Guard, they started to use the Death Guard symbol with a skull in a circle and spikes coming from said circle. Now, this symbol would pretty much stay the same until we get to their post-heresy symbol, which just gets an... Weird-looking eye with three circles inside of it and a weird maw, but still, it doesn't matter. They keep this motif of the skull pretty up-to-date, not really giving up on it and really not bulging any tiny bit with it. They've kept it since they were the dust craters and they seem to keep it now, most of them, or the main legion should I say, keeps it now... With this weird Nurgle skull they have. Which is interesting and it shows really one of their more interesting aspects of the Death Guard. The fact that they are solemn and stoic. Not to the point where they become like the Iron Warriors or the Imperial Fists. But enough that you get certain aspects like their symbol never really changing. Now let's go back to them being Terranborn Marines. To their pre... Great Crusade era 2, pre-meeting of Mortarion. A bunch of them, or in fact all of them, came from the same breeding ground that would serve the Night Lords and the Iron Hands. Because it was a very good genetic stock there, and that was Albia. Now Albia was somewhere around the European continent, and as I said, they had good genetic stock in it, that they used it for the... 8th and the 10th Space Marine Legions. And remember, these were supposed to be techno-barbarians, warlords, and so on. Still, at some point the Emperor managed to conquer them, made them friendly, and started to use all their good males to join the Legioni Astartes. Because you see, this is an interesting power play from the Emperor that comes in the form of keep your friends close and your enemies even closer. Because sure, while you are friendly with them, they did pose a quite a great challenge to you. And it's better they not get the idea to do that again. The Emperor did not win Albia by just simply defeating it. No. Once the Emperor fought against Albia, he saw that the only way to win militarily against them, militarily, I guess, against them, would be to grind everything you have and win a huge war of attrition. In the end, do you really win? So the Emperor decided to do the right thing 
and went to negotiate with the Albians, with the techno-barbarian parliament, and showed them the future of humanity. Since the techno-barbarians also understood they don't want to fight an attrition war, they agreed to his deal and his plans. At the end of the day, it seems like a pretty smart choice where everybody wins. To understand all the things here and there, the techno-barbarians of Albia, they fought like madmen. They fought like machines. Unmoving, uncaring, unstoppable. And you will see that some of those traits continue on still in the Death Guard after the Unification War and way into their current state. There's a part of them that hasn't changed really from that method of waging war. Relentless and unmoving. To be honest, it's nice that the current Death Guard in 40k has managed to keep this tradition. Even though it might just be military or just because uh, it fits them in a way, since the inhabitants of Barbaros were also prone to diseases and poisons and being resilient. But I think they also kept it in a way, shall I say, much the same way Meros and Rafan managed to have a connection. If you don't understand what I'm talking about, it's from the Fear to Thread book, where an apothecary saves the life of Sanguinius, but he gets wounded earlier in the story before he does that, and he manages to talk with the person that will in the future carry his gene seed. So we already have a demonstration of sorts that there is a psychic bloodline connection to certain aspects. And the Death Guard now, as corrupted as they might be, they probably still have a part of that, what do you call it, a part of that Albion style of waging war and fighting against your enemies. During the end of the Unification War and the start of the Grand Great Crusade, the Dust Raiders would make an interesting name for themselves. Not only that of the Dust Raiders that they would end up adopting, but also on the fact that they are honorable among the Starties, and whoever surrounded, or surrounded? Surrendered to them would be able to go freely on his own way, but they did not respond kind to treachery or time stopping, just their ultimatum not being heard. Because of that, God have mercy on those who dared to fight the Dusk Raiders, because there was no stopping them at the end of the day. During the Great Crusade, many legions would find their Primarchs, and it was a glorious moment for many of them. But the Death Guard still remained orphaned for a long period of time. A, a huge period of time, by the way. Many legions by that point were already part of the Great Crusade with their Primarch. So they had extra stock to make their legion bigger. The Death Guard didn't have this benefit. And this bred something interesting. Remember how the Death Guards were, shall we say, descendants from Albia? Well, the, descend the Albians had a pretty interesting way of fighting like machinery. Not in the same way like the Iron Hands or Iron Warriors even, but in an interesting way of being straight and narrow. And this is the funny part. 
the lack of a Primarch and them being orphaned for so long really turned the Death Guard or then Dusk Raiders into one of the more straight and narrow legions, to use the same term. Those legions, well, those legions, I'm referring to the Dusk Raiders right now. The Dusk Raiders really kept true to this idea of being orphaned. That bred an idea of self-reliance, self-sufficientness, and made them more independent in thought and thinking, which is a pretty interesting and nice thing to have in your legion. Guleman knows he tried to instill that into them, only to have them turn into codex-worshipping blueberries, but that's a whole different aspect. Still, the Death Guard, or then Dusk Raiders, continued with this idea of being self-reliant. Remember that they fought alongside the Emperor for a good period of time, and they stood by his side alongside the other legions that didn't have a Primarch to lead them. And that only helped their, I want to say, worship of the Emperor, because that's a wrong term to say they were, wor they were worshipping the Emperor. Not at that point, I'm gonna be honest, not at that point, but they did follow him and see him as a proper example. Let's just say the Imperial Creed <laughs> was more open to them, more beloved, and more in their heart than other legions. Still, nevertheless, the Terran-born Dust Raiders continued to fight along the stars until they met their Primarch, who promised to remold them and reshape them into the Death Guard. The Death Guard was, at that point, the unit that Mortarion led on Barbaris. Since he came from Barbaris, many new recruits were brought in from the feral world and the Terranborn marines were left to train them and prepare them for the Great Crusade and so they did in fact, which is interesting the way they passed down the way of fighting of old Albia even to these inhabitants from a feral world, shall we say, that came in right now. The problem is that the more time passed the more a clear distinction and break in the Legion was being seen thanks to the differences between the old Terran-born Marines and the barbarous ones. And you can see this in the beginning of the Horus Heresy books, and I would say even more so in Flight of the Eisenstein, where you have Garo's relations with Kalas Typhon and Grulgor, that aren't really on the best of sides. And those two were born, Typhon and uh, Grulgor, were born on Barbarus. And they didn't like straight as an arrow, Gyaro. Still, they managed to somehow pull things off and survive and fight for until the end of, until the start of the Horus Heresy. And it was then, at the start of the, heres of the Horus Heresy, once the legions were called, and the few remaining survivors spread all around the stars, that the legion inevitably changed, and would no longer know the glory or the customs of old Terra. For example, one of the old customs from old Terra was to take in a housecarl, especially if you're a captain or somebody of a higher position. 
this was basically your own servitor, your own serf, that made sure you were properly kept up to date with information, would make sure that your armor was in good state, and so on. But many of the barbarous space marines did not like that concept, because serfs were usually taken from adepts that failed the trials of becoming space marines. And to those space marines from Barbarus, this was a sign of weakness, to still somehow live, even after you failed the trial, and serve the legion. Now, of course, for the house carols and the other serfs, it was an honor to serve the legion in this way, even if they were not full-blown space marines. But still, some of the Terran-born marines kept to this tradition, like Garrow, and the barbarous ones, I think we can hold, we can say 100% of them were not fond of that idea and probably clearly hated it so much so that if they had the chance, they would kill Garrow's house Carol. We'll skip over flight of the Eisenstein until I make a proper summary for it or explain the video. Let's continue on. Remember, the color scheme for the dust craters was different. They had the red right hand, and the rest of their body was grayish of sorts with certain accents that are, in all honesty, they have dark colors. They have dark red on their right hand, dark gray, and a dark gold. Even this image, and shall we say colors, would end up being changed once Mortarion came in as the Legion's Primarch getting rid of their old colors, replacing it with white and a trim of green. And most of the Im images, iconography, on the armor were replaced so the armor was more simple and more plain, in a way to reflect the way the Death Guard waged war. And that was a war that was fought directly into the most unpleasant of situations and straight head on. If you think Horus's spear tip strategy is a little bit weird and strange to use it all the time, why didn't you see the Death Guard wage war? But for all intents and purposes, the Death Guard could wage proper war and win. They in fact got many accolades during the Great Crusade as even the Dusk Raiders and the Death Guard. They were something quite special. With the coming of Mortarion and the changing of colors, certain new traditions will be started in the Death Guard. One of those traditions was that at some point, Mortarion would pick one of the most honorable and venerable and most remarked space marine in a certain battle and toast with him a cocktail of different poisons that were supposed to harden the physiology of the space marine and of the Primarch. This, of course, the tradition that he brought from Barbarus. On Barbarus, he also learned a few things about chemical warfare, and there he started to implement a way that his space marines started to train and consume toxins. Because of that, they became more hardy, in a way, to become more resistant to certain plagues and aspects. The fact that many of his space marines came from Barbarus a feral world filled with toxins made them even more resilient and gave the Death Guard the opportunity to use weapons of destruction. 
that many Space Marines legions would avoid, thanks to a fear of the chemicals and radiation that those weapons produced. But the Death Card that mattered very little. In fact, Mortarion's whole Grim Reaper look and the way his legion fought wars transformed the legion from a little colorful thing that was a terrible sight to see at dusk into an indomitable force of death. One that ended up being quite scary for many that had to see it on the opposing side of a war. Still, they managed to survive, even though Mortarion saw them as an extension of his plans on Barbaris to end tyranny all over the universe. But after that, you know, the Horus Heresy would happen and the last Terran-born Marines would end up lost and the Legion forever changed, now becoming slaves to Nurgle. <laughs> Funny. How Mortarion in his head thought he fought for freedom, but at the end of the day, all he got was a stinky grandpa as his master. Huh? Guess there are worse fates out there. But, nevertheless, the old Legion traditions would die out for the Death Guard, and they would be replaced by what I told you. During the Horus Heresy, their traditions would change once more with the veneration of Nurgle and their whole diseases and poxes and plague marine stuff. The point where it was no longer a normal space marine legions, legion, no longer somebody that followed the imperial creed as flawed as it seemed to be at the time to them. It was a different entity, a different legion, one that shared the name of the Death Guard of old. <laughs> One that shared the lineage of the Dusk Raiders, but one that had nothing in common with either of those two. Now it is a legion that worships a god of chaos and tries to please him as much as they can. And their own Primarch, the one that saw them as an instrument to his plan on Barbaris, is but a slave. Sure, one that wants to be free, but freedom doesn't come easily and... Yeah... Freedom isn't gonna come for them. The traditions now lay in demon worshipping and disease worshipping and spreading diseases. I guess it's an evolution, but it's not one you want to have after you have the history of the Dusk Raiders and the Death Guard into a point on your back. Maybe one day, maybe one day, some Death Guard members would see the folly of their fall and come back into the embrace of the Imperium, and embrace their heritage of old. But of course, that's just my fanfiction at this point. Nevertheless, I hope you enjoyed this, and I'll see you in the next one.